Hello, welcome to another episode of the Kutul's Show and Tell. Our special guest this week is Chris Butler. Hey, Chris, would you mind introducing yourself to our audience? Sure. I'm Chris Butler. Um, I live in Oakland, California. Um, I've been a longtime fan. Um, I also have the uh, completely oversized book on my shelf. Not not here because um, I'm not at home right now, <laughs> but uh, really big fan. Um, I guess uh, if I were to like use one way to describe myself is I tend to call myself the chaotic good product manager. And uh, the reason for that is actually twofold. So I'm a group product manager um, in Google's uh, core machine learning group. Um, but the chaotic good is, is just meant to say that I, I guess I think a lot about the way that we kind of increase randomness or chaos or even just this idea of like um, trying to channel more from the source uh, for us to be able to come up with ideas. Um, and I just finished Rick Rubin's creator book. So that's why source is like a top of mind <laughs> um, uh, terminology for me. But um, so Chaos Good also points to the fact that um, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons a lot. I still actually play a lot of role-playing games. Um, I'm just actually finishing up a module uh, for something called Mothership right now. Um, and so it's it's meant to be kind of this like, kind of a Easter egg for people that are geekier. They'll see Chaotic Good as the alignment within a Dungeons & Dragons game. Um, but I also mean it when I like look at my work, I try to do what's best for us, um, but also in a way that maybe injects some more interesting things into the world. Okay, that's really great. So Chaotic Good. <laughs> exactly. Maybe, we'll, maybe some of that will, will sprout in our conversation. <laughs> exactly, yeah, so exactly. So Chris, um, tell us about one of your favorite tools. Yeah, well, so the first one that, that I wanted to bring up is uh, to deck of cards, um, and I know you've had lots of people with deck of cards. I actually have a, a bunch of other decks of cards here, like oblique strategies, like you've had on a couple times, I think. Um, things like tarot Brian, deck. Brian Eno's, um, yeah, little just just to let people know who don't oblique strategies is a little prompting for being creative when you're That's stuck. Right. So They're like you, a, yeah, sixty provocations is the right, right way to think about it, right? Yeah, right. So your deck of cards, if you hold them yeah. up again, sure. They so they're like so they have different colors. Yeah. And and kind of uh, the way that you end up playing this game, if people are familiar with something called planning poker, um, it's used inside of the tech world that if we're trying to decide how hard a particular item that we want to work on would be, how complex it might be. Um, what we do is we actually all like between developers, designers, product managers, anybody else that might be part of the, the process, um, we all kind of think to ourselves a number. Um, and so in the case of uh, like planning poker, it could be just in this case, it, delegation poker, it's one to seven. It could be the Fibonacci sequence. I think the best ones I've seen are basically like zero, one, and no idea, <laughs> basically. I, I'm, um, I'm really, I'm not following. You, th sure. you think of a number. What, what are you going to do with this number? Why are you thinking of a number? Yeah. So when you think about the number, it's like how hard or complex the item is. And then we all basically either put down a card that represents the number, so like one, um, down at the same wait, time. Wait, and so again, the, the go, um, um, you're going really yeah, sure. fast for me. You, you have a bunch of people working on a project together, a team yep. of some sort, and you're all yep. going to rank or assign a number to the difficulty? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, the difficulty, the complexity, or the size um, of a particular work item. And we're all sitting around a, a work item. Is this a problem, yeah. you mean? like a? Uh, yeah, I guess I guess when we think about it, like the work that I do inside the tech world, we try to solve really big problems for people. Sure. Um, but then there's like amount of work that's in some range of a couple hours to a couple days worth of okay. work for an engineer. We want to talk about like, is it actually a couple hours, a couple days, or actually a couple weeks, right? So okay. length of time could be a way to talk about this, right? Right. Um, 
everybody puts down their cards at the same time and it's and, not interesting and the, and when the everybody card, and the card is a is a proxy for the amount of that's like, right estimating that's right. that's right so some people will do pure estimation i think when we talk about people that are both technical like engineers and non-technical people it's actually very hard for a non-technical person to do an estimate so we tend to think about just like complexity or difficulty or just like how big do we think this item is and so what's interesting is that between all the different people that have laid down their cards, we didn't talk beforehand, right? We just put down a number that we thought represented the complexity or the difficulty. Right. And what we want to look for is actually differences of opinion. Okay. Because if, for example, one person puts down a one and one person puts down a 10, that means that we have a very different con like concept in our head of what this work item is. And okay. so yeah, this is referred to as planning poker inside the tech world. Now, delegation wait, wait, poker- wait, wait, wait. Again, you're going really fast for me. Oh, sure. Sorry. So what's the benefit of a card versus just putting down number down on a piece of paper? You know, either way works. The cards just tend to be a physical thing. So you can hold them. That's why they call it poker um, is because it's more like you're not telling everybody else what the card is that you're going to put down. And so I was kind of showing my hand as like a folded out uh, set of cards. Like you would like when you're holding a set of poker cards, uh -huh. essentially. Um, that's right. Okay. But you could just everybody write down a piece yeah. of number on a piece of paper. That's right. Yeah, or you could throw out your hands, like number of fingers. Yeah, okay. All right. There's okay. tools like Miro also have ways to do that actually right. inside the, the, but, but, the And you were saying it was a game. Where's the game part? No, so it's not a game. It's actually used to help build alignment between a, a team of cross-functional people okay. that are building something, essentially. Right. Um, and so, so that's planning. Everybody program. puts the number down. You have one person said one, one person said five, one person said yeah. seven, one person said three. Yeah. Then what happens? Well, so what we look for is if everybody put down different numbers, we should now have a discussion about why we all think it's the number that we okay. put down. So if a person put down one, they'll probably think, oh, this is really easy. This is not a lot of complexity. It's something we could just do like within an hour. Person puts a 10 down, maybe they're like, no, this is going to take like weeks to do appropriately. And so what you want to look for is kind of a difference in opinion and way that those, those different people are thinking about the problem, right. essentially. Um, so that's planning poker. When we talk about delegation poker, this is like an evolution of that. And we do this though, to be able to talk about like, how is it that between you and I, like say you're my manager and I'm your employee, how much ownership I should take over this or how much I should be working with you on that. And so the seven cards, right? And I'm gonna read them off. There's seven different levels here inside the delegation poker, which are all different colors of the rainbow. Um, if I put down a one, it's that basically I will, uh, you know, I will tell them what to do, right? So you as the manager, if you put down one, that means that you're just going to tell me exactly how to do it. And if I put down one, it means I want you to tell me exactly how to do it. Um, number two is like sell. Like if you were the manager and you put down two, it'd be like, I'm going to try to sell you, but really you're going to kind of do it my way and, vi and vice versa. Like if I put down a two, it's like, I want you to really just tell me mostly how to do it, but maybe ask for my opinion. And that goes all the way from four, which is kind of the middle ground. And middle ground is agree, which is really like, we're going to come together and just build a consensus on how we should work on this, essentially. Um, and then finally, seven is basically, I want you to delegate this. So like, if you were the manager, um, it would mean that you're just going to like, you're going to say, yeah, here's the task you go do, or here's the, even the problem. You go do whatever you need to do to do this. I don't even want to hear about what the outcome is. You're just going to go do it and vice versa. Like, I just want you to let me go and run with this, right? And so it's interesting, again, using that poker dynamic is that, if I'm sitting in a room between a manager and an employee and we put down vastly different cards, that's a really important conversation to have. 
Um, and so again, it's not a game, it's more of a technique to be able to get at like misalignment. Um, but you, I've also done this um, when I was a consultant at a company called Philosophy, which was like innovation and design consulting. We would use this with our clients. And so what we'd come up with is we'd say, for example, let's say there's a scenario where we need to change the color of a button in like a user interface or something like that. Um, we would then ask them like, do you care that much? Like, is this a, you should only tell me the, num the, the, the actual color or is it delegate, just do whatever you think is best and don't even tell me. Um, but we'd also then ask other scenarios like, well, so what if we try to identify a different customer, right? Or what if we try to solve a different problem or we have a different strategy? And so you end up having like a whole list of these scenarios and I'm happy to share like a list of scenarios that I've put together for this type of thing, but it really helps I guess when we like a lot of things I think about is how do people work better together? And so this gets kind of all the gunk out of assumptions that we have about the way we should work with each other. And so this is by a group called Management 3.0. Um, and they have a lot of other cool stuff. They have like improv cards, they have like blank cards, a bunch of stuff like that. Um, but I, I found this to be really effective, especially when like talking to new teams. Um, I haven't done it with like a manager, but I've done it a lot in consulting where we want to make sure the client is getting what they want, basically, and to be interacted with the way they want to be, right? Because um, nothing kills a project more than like me going off and doing something and the clients, no, you should not have done that, basically. And how come we haven't done it as a manager? How come we don't use them? <laughs> well, so I think that um, in a lot of the places that I've worked, um, this type of facilitation stuff feels weird to people. Like I would say inside of Google, for example, getting people to do like reg regular retrospectives, some of the tools I'll show you today, like even the oblique strategy cards, like if I pull those things out, people think I'm insane. <laughs> and really? So, like, yeah, it, it's, there's, well, I mean, it depends on the team, of course, like there's lots of different people mm -hmm. inside of Google, but I would just say like the teams I work with, they tend to be very technically minded, especially if they're like engineers, like really hardcore machine learning engineers. Um, they and, and this may be related to the fact that why do we do these things is because they create confusion, like temporary confusion for us. And the problem is, is that engineers, people that are more literal minded that are really all about certainty, they can only take so much confusion <laughs> uh, for people like the designers I'd work with. Like I could use any oblique strategy card and they would just like be able to match it to whatever it is was we working on because they love lots of confusion. Right. Like more confusion means more options in some ways. Is this your good um, chaos? <laughs> exactly. So I'm always trying to like push the limits of like what is enough confusion in this situation because when we have confusion, we try to now like create something new, right? right? And and that's really amazing, I think, in some ways. Right. Yeah. So okay, so these are delegation poker. Is that what you called them? That's right, delegation poker, and they're by a group called Management 3.0. Okay. Um, and you can get them. Um, I, I can't remember the exact price I paid. It, but I think it was like thirty or forty dollars for like a cent. Mm. Um, but I have like a bunch of these and I, I've, I've left them with clients as well afterwards and uh -huh. they, they really love them. Yeah. Delegation poker. Okay. Yeah. So there's seven levels, tell, sell, consult, agree, advise, inquire, and delegate. That's right. Yeah. I and so if you were really cheap, you could make your own. Yeah. You know what? They also, I think, sell PDFs of this. Yeah. Um, so actually, I got the cost kind of off. Um, it's actually only eight euros for a full set. Okay. And I think I end up getting, let's see how many versions I get. I think it's about, I get about five um, hands worth. So you can have a discussion between yeah. five people. Great. Um, but like I said, you can use this technique just by writing things down. But I, I find the cards, the physicality, because they describe like on each card what it actually means, it, it makes it much easier for people to understand. Right, right, right. right. You're um, hand holding. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, 
when when we deal with people in like corporate America, like at very large organizations that don't like like hired us to be innovative, right? Like they're giving us a little bit of permission to push the limits of what they sure. usually do. And sure. so we got to take baby steps sometimes yeah. uh, to allow them to do that. Yeah. Right. That's great. Okay. So the um, delegation poker cards. Yes. Yeah. Chris, what's a, what's a second tool that you uh, really like these days? So one that I've really been kind of excited by recently is this thing called the work kit of design fiction. Uh, which is by the Near Future Laboratory. And I think the newest edition is $65. This is the last year's edition that I have, but I think mostly what changes is kind of the art between the cards. But maybe what like would be helpful to describe first is what is design fiction, okay? Design fiction um, is kind of this idea that when we're ever trying to understand what our values are today, you know, like what what do we think is actually good? What do we think is bad? Where do we want technology to go in some way? Design fiction is this idea that we're going to jump into this old janky time machine. We're going to go like 20, 30 years in the future. But we're not going to go to like the shiny, you know, white walls. Everything's glass. Everything's like transparent displays for some reason, which sounds horrible for usability. But like all these like really beautiful envisionings of the of the future world with technology, which is usually like Samsung marketing materials, right? Um, but then there's the opposite, which usually shows up in science fiction, which is like dystopia. And it's usually like cyberpunk, like all those different genres end up being like very much about like the worst case scenario. What this is, is this more about like the middle road. It's like, if I were to t- get, get into this like uh, time machine, right? Go 23 years in the future. And I'm working on a project within your future laboratory about kind of what would be the employee manual of the future be? So when you join a company, what does the employee manual look like? So imagine that I get in a time machine, go 20 years in the future. I pop into someone's office cubicle and there's like an employee manual sitting there and I like grab it. And then I go back in time and we look at that thing. And that thing is actually like, it tries to talk about a lot of things that are not just the idea of like surprising, right? It, it is meant to make you kind of look at this and go like, oh, that's uh, what's going on here. Why, why is it this way? Maybe even like be a little surprised and like laugh and be interested in like the absurdity of the mundaneness, right? And so a good example of this um, that, uh, and so Julian Bleeker is like one of the founders of the Near Future Laboratory. He's one of the people that created these cards. Um, he uses an example of like a cereal box that's from the future where there's a cricket on the front and it's called like cricket oats or something like that. And the question is, is like, well, so why is there a cricket on phone? And it says there's like a special barcode for like scanning this. And it says like, you know, bu- I think it says like bug proteins. And so it's about this like idea that in the future, it's common for cereal, like a bug protein is so common that it's just like kid cereals. Right. Um, and, and like a minority report, which is another, you know, movie with, uh, uh, you know, Tom Cruise, there's a point where he has like a talking, singing, like cereal box that breaks and doesn't turn off. He has like throw it across the room. That prototype, that design fiction is kind of talking about that like in this world, technology displays, um, processors are so ubiquitous that is on literally a disposable item, right? And they don't always work and that's kind of accepted <laughs> in some way. And so that, it tells you something about the future that we're imagining. It tries to get us to like say, is that actually a future we want or not? But it's not meant, again, it's not about utopia or dystopia, which I would argue Utopia and dystopia is just like, utopia is my rules are in effect. Dystopia are that your rules are in effect, right? Right. Um, So anyways, the design fiction uh, work kit, what it does is it basically, it uses a methodology. There's another card deck called the uh, Thing from the Future, which kind of did this, but it it takes like five, I think, different categories. 
And you're supposed to draw one from each one of these categories. So I'm holding up like the first one is tone. Okay. And so you're supposed to draw one of these, each of these things. And so it's like action, which is the thing that you're going to be doing. There's an attribute, which is kind of, you know, it, it's like an additional attribute just to add to the mix of these things. There's the object itself. Like what is the thing that we're talking about? There's something called an archetype, which in design fiction means how are we talking about this item? So it's not, I think a lot of people when they first doing design fiction, they actually try to explain like an app and they talk about all the functionality of the app, right? What we're talking about here is like, it's like the movie, it's, it's like the review of the app that we're actually building here. And that's right. the archetype is like a review on an app store. Right. Um, and then the final thing is the tone, which is kind of like, how should it feel? Um, and so like, you know, it just gives you some examples here. Like some of the like, Actions might be like gamifying something or protesting something or diagnosing something. Those are actions you would need to do with this object. And then when it comes to attributes, it might be like autonomous. I'm holding it up like autonomous has like this kind of art around like Terminator, <laughs> of course. Try not to be too dystopian most of the time or ambiguous. And this is like a uh -huh. David Bowie kind of a, a, a icon um, handcrafted, right? Um, These are all some of the options for. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And so what you do is you then out of these five different sets, you draw one from each type. Right. And so like, let, let's do that right now. I'll just draw right now. We can maybe riff on like a design fiction. Um, so, while you're getting ready, let me just interject that. Um, yeah. I was on the team that worked on the design fiction for Minority Report. Oh, wow. Cool. And, um, <laughs> several of our, lots of our ideas uh, made it into the movie. Um, and you're right. That's exactly what it is. I call that, I call this thing that's not utopia and not dystopia. I call it yeah. protopia. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This thing in the middle, which is a little bit better than today, uh, but not by much. Yeah, that's right. And that's so right. you kind of muddle towards this, this view. So you're trying to make it kind of a realistic view where things are a little bit better, but not by much. That's right. Um, and the, the genius of, um, Steven Spielberg, the director of the Minority Report, was he was kind of doing what the cards were doing. He he did yeah. it naturally without cards. Yeah, but sure. um, he would get you know a bunch of future oriented people like myself were in the room, and if you ask him about the future thing, we do these kind of hand waving things. He says, "No, no, 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 no. I want these specific things. Yeah. I want to know the bed." <laughs> What does the bed look like? What do yeah. people have for breakfast? You know, what 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 kind of music do they actually listen to yeah. in the evening? So yeah. it was very very specific, and I don't think that a lot of us had ever been asked those kind of questions before. Yeah, and so that specificity is actually very important in kind of yeah. drawing it out and, and making it um, real in a certain way. Yeah. Because we can then start to talk about like the externalities of this thing, right? Like, like once it's a box, we can say, well, this box now has to be purchased from somewhere, right? right. It has to be used. It has to be maybe thrown away or recycled right. or right. whatever, right? right. Um, yeah. So, I, anyways, Minority Report comes up for a lot of different reasons when it comes to even the UX, right? Like, uh, uh, although Gorilla Arm is a thing where you can't keep your hands up for that long, Tom Cruise is very in shape to be able to do that type of thing, right? But, right. but, and, and so actually, like Julian Bleeker, you know, he spent some time with like Bruce Sterling at Art Center, and and so this idea of like what is a design fiction kind right. of came out of those discussions, right? And right. so they also call them diegetic prototypes, but 
it's meant to be that you don't know fully what is going on and that it's supposed to be surprising and then make you ask questions about that. So I, I think that's awesome. I mean, I, anyways, my new report is an, is an amazing example of that type of thing. So in this one, what we got was we got a carbon-based um, CPG. So consumer package good that is forbidden that is deep faking something and it's a social media ad for it. Okay. So the archetype is a social media ad. So like if I were to start kind of like brainstorming some of these things, right. And I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Um, do you have one you want to go with first or no, I, no, 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 yeah. keep going. So, so like, you know, maybe the, one of the things that you might find in like the deeper, darker parts of, of like the, uh, you know, Facebook of the future is essentially this idea of, I'm trying to think it's like, it's like maybe an additive to your fuel, right? It's a CPG type of thing. It's about carbon-based issues. Um, but what it does is it makes your fuel actually not look like fuel when it comes out of a tailpipe. And so this is like a social media ad about like, you know, have you not been able to afford the latest EV? So now let's make your car at least not smell like a regular, <laughs> like fossil fuel burning car. And so this is an additive you end up adding to your your, your gas, right? And, and so the social media ad maybe talks about like, you know, I was never able to get like, you know, I can imagine some, some guy with like a hot rod. He's like, I was never able to get a date to actually like go out with me more than once. Cause they knew I still had a, like a carbon based car, but now, you know, I'm able to get away with it. <laughs> Something like that. Right. And you can even go further than that. Right. But, but that's the point of these is that I think like I've done near uh, things from the future. I've done these. And if I'm thinking about like a future world, like that one about the employee manual, there's a lot of discussion about the idea of like, um, what does it mean? And I actually have another deck of cards by the ready, which is all about like pensions and practices inside of organizations. Called, what, was that, what was that one called? Uh, it's by the ready, which is like a, a oh, organizational Aaron, group. Aaron Digman. Yeah. And uh, so practice and tension is about things that happen inside of the organizations. So I'll mix those cards with these cards. <laughs> and then what we end up, and, and by the way, there was one time I just like used every card deck I had and we had like 15 cards. It was unmanageable, <laughs> but, but what, we start to do is we start to then create a bunch of these objects, right? So yeah. like inside the world that I'm thinking about for like the employee manual is that, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's this real tension between the fact that everything should be, everybody should be replaceable, right? And that's job role descriptions, ladders, the way you get promoted is all about replaceability versus this like embodied unique experience that I have. And so which of those ends for different things ends up happening in this future? And if we start talking about like the future of AI, like digital twins um, are a thing where, you know, uh, once you work somewhere, you work there for forever because your digital twin is available to everybody there. So we think like the Futurama Hall of Presidents with all the different like presidents uh, heads and stuff like that. And so that plus like, what you know, one of the things that came out of this, one of these discussions was like, what does it mean for an organization's office to actually change based on the stance of that organization? So like, are we in wartime or peacetime? Like, are we learning or exploring or are we like executing? Mm -hmm. And what does that do to the workplace? Like, what would you do to actually change that? So I use these cards and, or, and doing like working sessions with a group of people where we'll create, you know, over the course of an hour, right? For people that are used to this type of thing, we can do two to three rounds, um, five to seven people. Everybody kind of like says in a 30 set, like, so we'll, we'll be able to come up with like tens of ideas that then end up just being like these things and you don't have to use them, but they end up kind of, creating a possible future. And then I try to, as like the showrunner in this particular project, I try to pick out particular objects that I think make sense that are really trying to drive point the, the kind of thematic points home that we're trying to talk about in this thing. Right. So 
Yeah. And so then the employee manual itself is actually this printout and we're imagining something like a three ring binder. <laughs> but the thing that's weird about it is that it's, it's, it's some of it is generated just for you based right. on what your digital twin would want right? or, or think yeah. about. And so anyways, that's how I use these cards. But I think it's like I've used them also with like user experience teams um, in, you know, to be able to start talking about like what is the future of machine learning and what would actually making machine learning accessible to everybody what would be some things that would start to happen then yeah. um, based on like the diegetic prototype that we create with the design fiction? Yeah. It's, um, so that's it's, how I use them. Yeah. Um, versions of this exist in, in various levels. Like Amazon yeah. was famous for demanding that when yeah. they began developing some new item or product that they write the press release. That's right. For that's the right. item. What, it, what, what that little headline and that, little thing that you sent out to the newspapers right. would, would, and that you began there. And that, that kind of idea of beginning at the end is yes. um, something we did at Wire too, which was yeah. Yeah. Um, start with what the cover says and the headline and then That's work cool. backwards <laughs> because you're going to have to write the headline eventually. You're going to have to write the press release eventually. And you find that, that the writing of it is clarifying to what the invention is yeah. or what the thing you're trying to make. And that kind of starting at the end and working backwards is actually very powerful. Yeah. That's a little bit what the cards yeah. are doing in some ways. Yeah. I've, I've written an article about how I think design fiction should help us inform the way we do better PR FAQs, because that was something we experimented with inside of uh, Google and one of my teams, um, the teams I'm on. And I think one of the problems with the PR is it ends up being a very polished like, yeah version right, of this right? right it's the comms output right one of the things i've modified right is i've actually done one um where it was actually the press release while it was being drafted and so it was all the comment threads inside of the press release <laughs> um so like what is the what is like the pr person actually like trying to get clarification from the product team about right, right. and like where are they like kind of putting the shine on things versus yeah, not yeah. being real another one was like i i think of because we build a lot of tools that are for internal google like yeah. use like what is the employee newsletter that was forwarded from one VP to another? And what's the commentary they add on top of this, right? And so I, I love that idea of PR FAQs. I, I just think we need to push it further, right? And and so sure. like pushing it further means that we need to include some of the externalities or like to your point, the protopia rather than, right. I think it's usually the utopia is what ends up sure. being written. Because when I've worked with Amazon people, they have they have very specific like formulas the way they do it. It's not exactly design fiction, but I agree with you that there's like, that is a humongous, I, my, my whole thing about product managers is that we're basically just fiction writers because we write specifications about something that doesn't exist yet. Right. They just happen to be like really boring <laughs> fictions, unfortunately. And so uh, I guess that's what I keep on trying to push people to do is to yeah. do more interesting fictions in some way. So going then back to the tool, the cool tool, yeah. Yeah. the uh, design fiction. That's right. Kit. I think it's called yeah. the, the work kit of design fiction. Yeah. And it's a and set of- yeah, sixty-five dollars, uh, yeah. and for that you get um, all these prompted five different, I guess, categories of prompting cards. That's right. That you um, have different com combinatorial. Uh, yeah, and there's instructions. So I, there's like the classic instruction card that comes with every <laughs> deck of cards. Um, there's 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 also like a I think one other interesting set of cards that are part of this is that there's this like seventy twenty ten uh, that they talk about where like you know 
and and I, so I use these by the way is that if I want to like add a bit more tone to it I draw one of these three randomly and so one of them is like oh amazing you know it's it's surpassed or wows this expectation everybody loves it right or it's a complete disaster <laughs> right like the CEO had had to resign your stock options have been revoked uh -huh. um, got a good recruiter question mark and then the middle one is like meh it's okay right we'll probably end up in the junk drawer in a month and so. I think this adds a little bit more flavor too, but these are another set of part of the card deck that you get. But okay. um, yeah, and it comes in a nice kind of, this is, I really hate the fact that a lot of card decks come in these like super flimsy and I'm holding up like a, a Rider Tarot deck, which is basically almost dis, like disintegrated at this point because it goes in my backpack a, a lot of places. The design fiction one is, I, I appreciate a good sturdy case. And I would say that the oblique strategies are another one of those yeah. <laughs> that comes in a good case basically. Okay. And um I, looking at their site now, it says there also is a book. Yeah, um, the how, Manual of Design well, Fiction. Yeah, how, I, how I, is, so, that, is it necessary? Is it useful? No, I, well, so I love the book. Like, I, I think I, I'm kind of a new person to this community. I'm, there's a Near Future Laboratory Discord that I'm part of, and I'm running this kind of project as part of this hyper collaborative that we're doing there. Um, but I'm pretty new to the thing, maybe a year or so. And so the Manual for Design Fiction, I think, is a really great book overall to help describe and talk through it. It's not a book that I think you need to, like, rush through or anything like that. That's something that someone else has talked to Julian about. But um, I think it helps, definitely. Like... If you can understand the kind of reason and why we should be doing these type of future things, usually if I was doing this as a workshop, I would spend about five or 10 minutes doing the spiel that I gave you plus some extra things. If you're going to do it solo, I would say the manual design fiction is really helpful to help kind of set the, the way that you should be using these things, basically. Well, great. But it's a great book. Yeah. Really, really fabulous. Great idea. Yeah. Um, and I'm a fan of cards as well. So, um, <laughs> cool. <laughs> this, this will fit in. So, yeah. um, so Chris, how about um, another tool that you are yeah. excited by? So I, I've been thinking an awful lot about like decision making as part of this project called the Uncertainty Project, which is an online community for like decision making and strategy. And so there's a really interesting tool called uh, the Decider, which is by Noble, which is another kind of um, organizational consulting group. Essentially, this is a website that if you ever are trying to make a decision about something, um, it allows you to kind of click through It asks a bunch of questions because um, there's there's actually, if you look at the very bottom here of the webpage, there's eight different types of uh, decision-making uh, kind of way, ways to make decisions. And so just for me to describe them really quickly, autocratic is really just like one person needs to make this decision. It's probably the boss, right, in some way. Um, avoidant is that we should you know, not make this decision right now, we should put it off until some future time. Uh, consensus, this is that everybody on the team needs to agree in some way, um, that everybody has to actually agree. Um, and it's something that I think like a lot of large organizations like Google, I think actually do a lot of. Um, consent, which I, I think is a very interesting way is, is actually focused a lot on veto. So like, not everybody has to agree, but it's if anybody vetoes, then we have we can't do this decision. So it's a kind of the opposite way of consensus is the way I think about it. Uh, consultive is really just like trying to get as much of a uh, kind of understanding of people. I, I think one thing that's interesting about this is that I still think of consultive as something that you should be doing in a lot of decisions anyways. And I think there there's actually, and I've written an article about this, but like I think there's a big separate, there should be a separation where right when we know we need to make a decision, we should decide how we're now going to decide, which I think this tool is helpful for. So 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 there's there's eight 
there's a couple yeah. more varieties. Yeah. Well, my favorite one, by the way, is stochastic. So right. if you don't have enough information, just flip a coin. <laughs> and, and, and there's and, a lot of interesting things about that. And what's the idea of the of this website? Yeah. So if we were to like say have to make a decision about something, um, I'll press the start button here, and then it asks some questions. Like first question: Is this an urgent decision? So like let's say that we were trying to make a very urgent decision. Like so is, is, yes. is, is this thing trying to help you decide what kind yeah. of decision, what are the eight varieties right. that you're trying to make? It's That's right. So it tries to funnel you to one of those and right. then give okay. you a bunch of information about that. Right. So, so, like, it's, so, so this tool will help you craft the kind of decision that you want to make for the given situation that you have. Yeah. That's right. That's okay. exactly right. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I call it deciding how to decide. Um, but I think, you know, so like the next question is, does this decision impact a large number of people? So let's say yes. Right. Can you delay the decision to gather more feedback? No. And so <clears throat> in this case, it recommended consent decision-making. Okay. And so what you can see here on the screen is that not only does it give you kind of an overview of a couple different attributes of this decision-making process, but like, it's probably a little bit faster. Um, it is more collaborative rather than independent. It is more egalitarian rather than hierarchical. And then finally, it is very transparent and not very private, right? And so for this thing, it then talks about like, uh, as I said, it's, it's basically like no one objects or vetoes this decision. Right. Um, and then gives you kind of a list of pros and cons, and then talks about the process by which you might actually then take on this decision. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. And so, so I, I, yeah. And then common traps, of course, which I think uh -huh. is really interesting as well. Good. So the yeah, idea yeah. is, is there's twofold. One is it helps you decide how to decide. And then two, yep. it can educate you on how to decide better or how to make the better choice. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, and I think what's really interesting is that they not only have the site, but they also have a Slack plugin. Okay. So you can actually ask it inside of a Slack channel um, if you wanted right. to, uh, which I think is really to great. Be like a, just a free website, right? Yeah, that's right. It's free. Um, I think uh, the thing I've found really helpful about this is, yeah, you can go here, but I think it's also... I think as you start using this a little bit more, you start to get, I think, more expert at, at deciding how to decide, right? Which it, which is, I think, something that lacks an awful lot inside of yeah. the groups that um, I work with a lot is that we end up just like kind of having a default mode for deciding. And so this at least tries to usher you in a direction that might be a better way to decide right. um, uh, for that particular type of decision. That's Absolutely. really great. So and yeah. that's called The Decider. Yeah, app. that's right. It's called The Decider. The Decider.app. Um, yep, that's right. Um, that's a great... That's a great suggestion. Thank you for that tool. So, Chris, yeah. um, I think you have a fourth tool for us. Yeah, I do. Uh, well, th this one is um, called the Flipper Zero. Um, and you can see here, it's kind of like a small white plastic device with like a very cutesy dolphin in the LCD screen. Um, big orange uh, button. A big orange button and trackpad and then right. a back button, essentially. Um, the other things you should notice about this device, though, is that there's an infrared port here. Um, there is a USB-C. Right. And it's about uh, the size of a pack of cards. Yeah, it's like it's it's about the height of a pack of cards, I would say. Yeah. Like it's the thickness of a pack of cards. Right. Um, and then the height of maybe two packs of cards. Um, right. And uh, yeah, and then there's a GPIO. So kind of like how you might have with like Arduino or other types of devices that take hats or other types of like modification devices. And there's also something called... Um, like an I button access, uh, which are these like little metal prompts right here. The thing that's really interesting about this is that I guess technically it's a hacking device. <laughs> so that's the thing that you should maybe think about it as. Um, I've actually like wiped this to default uh, kind of 
the firmware that comes with it, which has restrictions on it. Um, but I think the thing that is you can't see on here so much is that it can actually do sub gigahertz um, kind of sensing and uh, sending and receiving, essentially. Wait, wait, so, wait. Let's just slow down a little bit. Um, sure. So it, it's those those are communicate. It can communicate. That's right. But yeah, but, yeah. but but the thing that it's doing. Yeah. What is it doing? What what? So I guess it's up to the user. Um, so what I would say is that one of the things that you can do with this, like let's start talking about some applications, right? So one of the things I can do is that through this infrared port, um, it has a bunch of default software that allows it to act as a universal remote. So if you've ever done anything like TV Be Gone, um, if you've ever heard of that, right. um, if you ever wanted to create your own remote based on a bunch of different IRA remotes, okay. it can not only look at that remote signal, but it can also replay it. And you can then create custom remotes inside of here. So that's one thing it can do. All right. Um, the sub gigahertz thing, what that means is like near um, near field, like NFC type of stuff or RFID types uh -huh. of things. It can not only read those, but it can also then uh, mimic them or simulate them. Um, okay. As And then a bunch of other things as well. So like uh, garage door openers, uh, the, um, you know, the, the fob for your key, like your car, there's some security things that keep this from this actually doing this, but it can sense it. So really anything that uses kind of sub gigahertz, um, kind of, and there's a lot of different signals that are inside of there, uh, can start to do some really interesting things around that. Does it do um, Bluetooth as well? Yeah, it does Bluetooth as well. Um, and, and so, yeah, uh, so Wi-Fi is not, it doesn't do Wi-Fi. You can buy a separate hat, which is called, okay. like one of them is called the Marauder. Um, and that allows you, there's one that also includes GPS. <laughs> so then you can start doing something that's called war driving, um, where you're able to like, like Wi-Fi war driving is essentially you're driving around uh, to detect the location of different Wi-Fi networks, right, right. essentially. So, um, so, so um, what, what's an example of something you have used it for? Yeah. So I've used it like what, definitely because remotes are constantly being lost in my household. <laughs> I, I'm able to like actually, and we have like multiple devices. Like I have a bunch of kids. Um, the constantly, the Apple TV device remote is very, is small enough to be able to fit in places that are very hard to find later. <laughs> so um, what, like that's maybe less of an example because it's more of a Bluetooth example, yeah. but like the TV one is another one that gets lost all the time. Right. Um, and so I've actually created my own remote uh, for this type of thing. Right. Um, I think another thing is that like cloning, uh, like your garage door uh -huh. opener thing. Yeah. That's another one that I've used it for. Okay. Um, and these are all kind of like, you know, up and up things. They're all things that I own. <laughs> um, you could go around and if you wanted to turn off the TV and like an airport, like a right. TV be gone, you can do that with this type of thing. Um, it also has like an app platform. Um, and it's kind of a Tamagotchi. So this dolphin that you saw earlier, there's like a whole kind of thing about this dolphin doing things and, uh -huh. and being the mascot for it. So it's a little cutesy as well. Um, I guess I always like, uh, maybe one other thing that I think is really interesting is there's something called bad USB, which uh, there's a ducky um, by this other company uh, called Hack5. But basically it's that if I uh, were to take this, um, say a USB um, and plug this thing into a device, I can have it actually mimic a keyboard and then take actions on that device. And so uh, the joke ones might be something like, uh, it basically what it will do is it will spawn a terminal, like I'm on a Mac right now, it will spawn a terminal and then do something to create like basically a command. And so one of the things is that it can actually, uh, like the joke one is like Rick rolling someone. So I could go up to their computer, plug this in, send this over. It will in the background, like create a terminal, run all of the script, 
And then when they get back on their computer later, it will rickroll them. Um, as you can imagine, there's a lot of other things that this type of USB device can do. <laughs> and so there's a whole library of things that are out there. Um, but I would say like for people that are doing like penetration testing, if they're doing like security audits, like any of that type of thing, this is one of those things that you can kind of bring around. Now there's lots of, I just want to be very clear. I just think this is like a really cool device. I, I When I saw Terminator 2 and I wanted to be like John Connor with like the ATM machine, I always love these types of devices. And I have like another one, which is like a watch for like Wi-Fi cracking um, mm. and stuff like that. And so I just love these types of devices. It makes, it just feels cool and fun. And I've been able to teach some of my kids about like, um, what does it mean like when we talk about infrared? What does it mean right. when we talk about these other things? So um, they also have, I've, I've tried to teach them how to pick locks as well, if you could imagine. Um, but like, you know, I, I mean, I've, I'm one of those people, I guess the chaotic good product manager, you know, I used to uh, make red boxes when I was in high school mm -hmm. and I went to 2,600 meetings. Mm -hmm. um, and actually that's one of the things that I think is really funny is um, because this is like an app platform, there's actually a, a, DM, a DTMF uh, player as well. So I don't know what um, DTMF is. So it's just, uh, I forget what the exact acronym is, but it's basically like when we used to have um, signaling um, from a phone where we were pressing digits and it would make a tone, essentially. Okay. Not not rotary, where it was more about clicks right. and that was a different push, type of push mechanism. Button. Push button. Yeah, exactly. Push button. And so like what this, what you can have here is you can actually have like a, a I'm just showing like the app, which is like the dialer. Okay. Right. And um, so I don't know if it's going to come through here, but can you hear that at all? I don't know mm -hmm. if my noise cancellation. Um, the thing that's really cool is that like, I, I have also a red box one. So you can see here <laughs> that it will simulate like putting a nickel, dime or quarter right, into right, a payphone right. as of like, again, you know, this is like 20 years ago, <laughs> 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah, when when um, you can find a payphone, when was the last time you saw a payphone? When you could find a payphone that would actually take quarters right. and then actually use this type of system. So I used to make red boxes a very long time ago out of Radio Shack uh, phone dialers. And um, then Hallmark cards starting be, started to have uh, things that where they would replay sounds. And so we went to that inside of a Radio Shack enclosure because it was easier <laughs> to actually build that than to like buy a $20 um, like Radio Shack like dialer uh, thing. So yeah. anyways, I, I just think like stuff like this is really cool to me because it's just like fun. And, and actually another thing that's really funny um, is that uh, like, I guess the question is always like, will it actually play Doom? And uh, you can see here <laughs> that like it can, it's not very good. <laughs> like if you play it, um, it's, it's like very ASCII version uh -huh. of this type of thing, um, uh -huh. but it's doomed. And so, um, but I, I love this because I think also for me, like I said, I, I think it's, I think there's a lot of cases where when we get locked into certain types of devices where we don't know what like the remote is, this is one of those things where you don't have to go and buy that like expensive remote anymore. You can just find out what is the way that this works and then build your own, right? Um, you, you can find other devices that will be stronger when it comes to IR, absolutely. You can also find specialty IR devices that do different things. But I just love like the versatility of this and the coolness of it is, is I think the way that I would put it. Right. Um, cool. So again, that's, yes. co uh, that's called the name of that again. The is... Flipper Zero. The Flipper and... Zero. Yeah, I'm just looking up if they're, so the, one of the problems was that because they were, uh, okay, so you can, you like cannot. $9. Yeah, if it's assembled. Um, and then, so like the one problem was that apparently like some of the shipments were being stopped. Um, and it was because of the fact that like these things, like if, in certain cases, you should not be accessing certain types of radio frequencies. <laughs> and so 
the, in the firmware that comes ship that the ships with, it has restrictions on when and what types of uh, things you can do. Now, if you go and look on the internet, there are a bunch of GitHub repos that are alternative firmwares that do not have that restriction. <laughs> and sure. so um, and that's what I'd say. And, and but it's like there's just like I love the idea of developer communities that are around these things. Um, that kind of like hacker ethos of like, I can figure out what's going on with this thing. It makes yeah. it, you know, it's not always the easiest tools to use in comparison to other types of like, say like IR or other types of like things. Um, but I could like, you know, the other thing I could do here is I could clone my um, employee badge, for example. Um, now there's a bunch of other reasons why I would need to have my actual badge there because I'd need to show it. Um, but there's some interesting things like that. So anyways, I, I just think it's really cool and, um, it's really fun. I, there's a great developer community around it as well. So that, that's kind of the flipper zero. Flipper zero. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for those. Those are yeah. very, very invigorating, inspiring <laughs> choices. Things I didn't know about. Thank you again for yeah, you're welcome. letting us know about them and for volunteering. So to, to tell us about, um, is there something, is there a project you're working on that you yeah. want to share or a passion that you have or something that you would like to take this opportunity to tell us about? I mean, I, I guess I've been starting to think about my uh, career as like an octopus. And so there's a lot of like tentacles that are all doing their own thing. And sometimes they assemble into something that's like centralized. Um, but the thing that's really important I think like I'd love to talk about right now is really this, this thing called the uncertainty project. And so it's a community where we have a bunch of like tools, um, a bunch of kind of musings and discussions about strategy, decision-making, because I think like one of the problems we have right now, especially inside these large organizations, I think actually for the betterment of humanity, we need to figure out how to make decisions in a way that allows us to move forward in some way, right? Allows us to actually not just, not even resolve differences, but actually talk about them in a way that is helpful. And so I think decision-making is one of those things that's very interesting to me and overlaps with the future of like automation of decision-making and the way that we try to, I guess, do a better job working together. And so uh, the Uncertainty Project, we have a newsletter. Um, I think we're at like 1500 people at this point. Um, and we're going to start doing like work, more workshops and talks and stuff like that. But it's really just like a great resource. If you want to like find out about a bunch of different things, like the randomization, uh, discussion that we were kind of having a little bit earlier, like I, I've, I've done talks and talk a lot about these like randomization kind of utilities inside of decision-making. And so I've written an article there about how I use randomization, um, and decision-making processes. Um, and things like that. And so anyways, that, that's what I would love for people to check out and uh, kind of, I, I and I, I'd also love to be connected on LinkedIn or, uh, you know, if people are still going to Twitter and X when this comes out, <laughs> I, I'm on there as well, but but I'm happy to, to connect on LinkedIn um, and definitely just chat about any of these things. I mean, I, I probably showed you only the ones that I actually showed as far as court card decks, you know, it's probably like a quarter of my card deck set. And that doesn't include like RP, like role-playing game card decks and like <laughs> other types of things like that. So anyways, I, I, I'm a huge fan of these types of techniques like you are. And so um, anyways, I, I'd love to connect on that. There, there, There's not really a great community that's huge on this type of thing, mm -hmm. but I, I keep on finding like little pockets of people that have this, I, but I have like a whole plastic bin sure. uh, <laughs> where I keep all this stuff. And again, that's called the uncertainty project. Yeah, and, that's right. And the idea here this, is this goes back to your good chaos where you're trying to, <clears throat> what's the word? Yeah, well, and, and trying to get, the, the uncertainty rather than to yeah. eliminate it. Yeah, that's that's fair too. Is that like so? It's the uncertaintyproject.org, and I think the reason why we call it the uncertainty project is that I think people, especially in the tech world, feel very certain 
about the future, right? Like they have a roadmap or a plan. Um, they tend to be very directed. There's like one right way to do things. We're all super smart. So the way we think about things must be the right way to do things. And I, I think I want people to question that. And I want people to allow for uncertainty. Now, it doesn't mean everybody deals with uncertainty in the same way, right? Um, but I want people to consider more uncertainty because I think maybe maybe this is like the mission, right, for me, is that I think some of the worst things in the world happen when people are very certain about something, mm -hmm. right? They're certain about the situation. They're certain about another person. They're certain about that other country. You know, whatever it is, it's about the certainty you have about someone else rather than allowing for curiosity, allowing for like, like compassion and other things that allow you to, I think, in some way, not just think you're the one right way to do right, things. Right, right, right. Yeah. I have a little piece of advice, which I got from um, Tim Leary, which is you're only as young as the last time you changed your mind. Yeah, exactly. So learning how to change your mind sounds like um, it's an optimal right. thing for this certainty project. That's right. And and I, I don't, I don't think we should be scared of that. Right. Like if you're, if you are wrong, like I product management um, as a, like a practice, I kind of think of product management's motto as, you know, we are wrong today. We just don't know how yet. Well, <laughs> this sounds a lot like the, um, lessons from ed catmill's um book creativity inc which was about pixar oh. he says oh, cool. every yeah. single movie sucks the start that <laughs> exactly and their their entire project management um that's right is to unsuck the movie that's right it, it says inevitably it sucks the first that's version right. of it it's just terrible it doesn't matter what it is and their job is to try and make it suck less that's right. Well, and that, that's the brain trust meeting, right? That you're talking about where it's somewhere in the range of like 30 to 70%, <laughs> right? It's not, it's not like brand new where there's no decisions and it's not like so done that we're not going to, we're not going to make any changes. Right. It's kind of in that realm. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's another, maybe this isn't really another tool recommendation, but maybe it's like, there's a, a group, a group online that's called like one page, one hour, and you can kind of look it up, but it's this pledge that you make that if you're ever going to write anything uh, where you work with other people, you only do one page at the most and you only spend one hour doing it. And the reason why that is valuable inside my world is that when I first got started in product management, I wrote like a 600 page specification about how to do meeting requests mm -hmm. for Hotmail and MSN Calendar and Outlook and Exchange. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and Lotus Notes was around at that point too. And so... That's crazy. Like I, I probably the, the I, you should not as a PM get to that point that you have the 600 page spec without talking to people. You should <laughs> write one page in one hour and then talk to people. Um, and so anyways, I, I, I love that story about the brain trust too, because yeah. you're absolutely right. We want to talk about the work. We want to talk about the work direction and the work as something that is actually kind of a thing in itself. Right. And me, that, that's why I think, um, the uh, the creative uh, the book about creativity by Rick Rubin I was just kind of listening to was really interesting to me is that I guess I think a lot about like embodied experience of creativity like how does it feel to do something as creative, um, but I, he talks about more about that the work has to exist out there, and and that that work is is separate from you and I I think there's some interesting things about that so I I've been just trying to like process and think about like how does that change the way we talk about these things that we build and make right and. Um, so anyways, yeah, I, I totally agree though. Like we should be less certain and we should change our mind more. Absolutely. Well, so that's called again, the uncertainty project.net org org. Uh, okay. dot org. Yeah. Dot org. Yeah, yeah. Head over there for more of uncertainty. And, um, Chris, it's really been a pleasure. It was a lot of fun 
thank you for these um, really cool tools. I really appreciate it. And our readers will as well. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you. No, it's a real honor. I mean, again, I've been following you for a very long time. I still have a stack of first issue Wired magazines and uh, what technology wants and things like that. And so anyways, I, I've just always been a big fan and I, I love this community too around tools. So thank you for doing this. I, I really appreciate that. And thank you for having You're me. You're welcome. Okay. And have a good year too. Yeah, have a good year. <laughs> Alrighty. This year, our Cool Tools blog will be 20 years old, which means we've been posting something new every day for 20 years. It's only possible because of the very engaged and knowledgeable readers and listeners like yourself. You've kept this place going, and we are very grateful for you. With this idea of 20 years in mind, um, we decided to try an experiment this year. And I'm inviting our guests and listeners to join me on our Cool Tool Show and Tell, which is the program that you're listening to right now. So if you feel you'd make a good guest on this podcast and have four uncommon tools that you'd like to share with us, um, please sign up on our form on the website and we'll see about inviting you. You must be comfortable taking all, talking on a video and um, you need to have some tools that you can show um, we record on, as you know, on Zoom. We do a YouTube version, a visual video version of it, as well as an audible version. Fill out the form if you're interested and um, list your four, four cool tools, and we'll see if there's a good fit. The applications aren't guaranteed in any way, um, and we're looking at tools that are new to us and appropriate tools and um, whether the times will work for you. So um, we're really interested in hearing from people all over the world, not just in the U.S., although the tools have to be available online, easily available online. And um, if you are a longtime listener, you kind of know what the definition of our tools are. They're very broad. They can be anything that's handy, from something in the kitchen to something used to travel to a workshop to something professional that we may not know about. We're really interested in things that we don't know anything about. So um, this is an open invitation. We'll give it a try. If you think you make a good guess for this podcast, um, fill out the form. There'll be a link somewhere on our website. Um, and we look forward to, to chatting with you. Thank you. <laughs>